0: Alrighty, good morning to you all. I guess it's about that time. Hope you're doing well. Let's see. Today we're going to continue talking about biblical counseling and answering the question what it is. And as we begin, why don't we just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much that we could be here today. We thank you for the rain. We thank you most of all for your mercy and grace to us in Christ. Thank you for the heart that you've given us for for you and for your word and, and for ministry. And we just pray that you would teach us through this series as we walk through it and as we discuss it together, as we look at your word together. We pray that you remind us of things that we've heard before and, and we already believe, but also help us to see new things and help us to make fresh application in our own lives and in our own relationships as we seek to love people and help them, even as we seek to fight our own sin and grow uh, in Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that you would bless our time together this morning and in the future toward those ends for your glory and for our good and for the good of others through our lives. We thank you so much for all that you're doing. We thank you for our Sunday school and pray that you'd bless time with the children we pray that you would also teach them and meet the deepest needs of their heart and grant them saving faith at an early age and we just ask that you prepare us all for worship thank you for this time in jesus name we pray amen all right well if you'd like to go ahead and turn to second timothy we'll start with this scripture before we watch the video this morning Last week we started this Biblical Counseling and Discipleship series, and as I said last week, half the time, or, or about half the time, we'll have a video, and the other half of the time or so, we'll, we'll um, discuss and, and recap and try to make sure we connect with what's being said. Jim Neuheiser is a Reformed pastor. He used to pastor in Escondido. Now he's moved, wherever they've moved their headquarters, I forget exactly where it is, but it's back east, southeast, I believe. And uh, he's a, one of the leaders in the biblical counseling movement, has a lot of experience, uh, was trained at Westminster, uh, Westminster Seminary, and um, so he's someone that I think we can learn from and grow from as he encourages us to think about biblical counseling in light of our culture um, let me read for us 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17, just to kick us off this morning. Paul says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching. For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so, um, that's the the uh, series we're going through. And basically, I said last week there are three sufficiencies that we're trying to keep in mind as we go through this. Last week we looked at Romans 15, which talks about the sufficiency of the body of Christ. Uh, as it grows in maturity and understanding its sufficiency to counsel one another and to minister the, the gospel and minister the truth and help people with their problems. These verses in Second Timothy talk about the sufficiency of Scripture, that God has given us in Scripture what we need for life and godliness. Uh, the way he puts it here is that we might be adequate, equipped for every good work. So the sufficiency of the church is grounded in the sufficiency of scripture that god has given us which is grounded in the sufficiency of the holy spirit who enables us and works through the scriptures and works through his people to rescue us from our sin to rescue others through our ministry to them and so those three things the sufficiency of the church based on the sufficiency of scripture and ultimately the sufficiency of god himself by the holy spirit is where our confidence comes from in counseling or in pursuing discipleship. Basically, the question that he's answering in this first um, session, and we're continuing the first sec- session, is why shouldn't Christians look to secular psychology and psychiatry for answers to their problems? So he's walking us through some arguments with regard to why we should not do that as Christians. Um very, very quickly, for those who may not have been here last time, and just as a quick review, a few of the quotes from last time. He quoted Abraham Maslow, who said, As far as I know, we don't have any intrinsic instincts for evil. Just con- uh, obviously contrary to what the scripture says. Eric Fromm, another psychologist, said, The Garden of Eden is a story allegorizing man's move to freedom. The Bible would say, No, it's a, a move to slavery. And then Fromm also said the achievement of well-being is possible under one condition, if we put man back in the saddle. And so he's arguing that the perspective of psychology is very different than the perspective of the Bible. And so psychology can be helpful, he said, in observing human nature and describing behavior, but there is a difference between description and prescription, describing the problem and telling people what the answer is. Psychology presents itself as a medical science, but it really is a competing religious theory and worldview. Many of the prominent psychologists have been anti-God. Psychology seeks to treat soul problems just like religion, or we would say Christianity, does. There are many contradictory psychological approaches, which makes it complicated and hard to know uh, from that perspective what to really do. Psychology operates on the basis of unscriptural presuppositions, which is what he's going to talk about more today. Uh, he acknowledges the fact that there, there really are diseases of the brain that require medical attention. So he's not neg- negating that reality, but he's arguing that psychology, psychology tries to address things that are spiritual in nature and the result of sinful souls not sick minds so he's making a careful distinction there so that's just a quick review of what he talked about last week the first part of session 1 this morning we're going to go ahead and listen to the second part of session 1 and then we'll have some more discussion
1: ecology notology not only misunderstands who man is as a responsible being in the image of God who has fallen who needs redemption uh, psychology also excuses sin and denies personal responsibility and and here's the quote I mentioned from Maslow the good impulses within people are easily warped by cultures sick people are made by a sick culture and this is something we we see in everyday life this isn't just at universities this is when uh, John Hinckley shoots President Reagan, thankfully not killing him, and he's declared innocent because he has mental problems. It's when many years ago there were two brothers who killed their parents, and again they blamed the abuse they received for the acts that they did. And uh, you see celebrities who engage in bizarre or evil behavior, and they say, well it's because this happened to me when I was a child. Uh, You'll see you know, a young man has been arrested for some horrible crime and his mother will say oh he's a good child, he's a good child he just got in with the wrong crowd Rogers writes, I see members of the human species like members of other species is essentially constructive in their fundamental nature but damaged by their experience the scripture says that we are accountable to God that sin is sin and one way responsibility is denied is the label of mental illness and, and calling what the Bible says is sin and illness. Now, I want to emphasize that there are people who really do have diseases of the brain. Uh, you can see and research has shown, that, for example, schizophrenics, uh, people who are truly schizophrenic, their brain is deteriorating. People with Alzheimer's and people with Alzheimer's may blurt out ugly bad things uh, because they don't have their filters working and their brain is deteriorating and uh, they really have a a sickness and there are some areas in which we can't be sure because we don't fully understand the human brain and so people may have physical brain problems that contribute to the struggles they have and we take those seriously but even then if the bible labels it as sinful behavior there's also a spiritual issue involved uh, i feel like what ed welsh said that even when there's a physical issue involved whether there is or not there's always a spiritual issue involved and you know just as an example to treat alcoholism as a disease well the bible says it's drunkenness it, it, you, know, you catch a disease if i'm on an airplane with somebody's got a bad cold or the flu and i sit next to him and he sneezes on me i catch i'm, I'm kind of a victim of that or if i get cancer uh usually you know it wasn't my fault it was in my genetics or something and 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 the very point of scripture is in order to really overcome sin you have to deal with the fact that you're responsible for what you've done you know, if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us john writes it's if we confess our sin that god is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and now every kind of bad behavior virtually gets labeled well this person has a sexual addiction this person has a gambling addiction Uh, I had a lady I counseled many years ago who had been diagnosed with I can't remember what she was diagnosed with but in the course of the counseling session with her husband there she spewed forth a, a profane angry nasty tirade against her husband and after she got done with this yelling she looked at me and smiled and said you know I'm a sick woman but I think by that she was saying, well, I have an excuse for what I just did. Now, you say, well, is there such a thing as mental illness? Uh, there is such a thing as physical brain illness. Definitely. But so much of what is called mental illness, the Bible would say, is the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? There's, I mean, it, the Bible will use sickness as an analogy. But... It's sin. Uh, Thomas Saz, the psychiatrist, writes In the 18th and 19th centuries, when people spoke of the cure of souls, everyone knew that the diseases such cures were supposed to heal were spiritual, and the therapists were clerical, and the cures were metaphorical. Whereas today, with the soul securely displaced by the mind, and the mind securely subsumed as a function of the brain, People speak of the cure of minds, and everybody knows that the diseases psychiatrists treat are basically similar to ordinary medical diseases, that the therapists who administer such treatment are physicians, and the cures are the results of literal treatments. And, and he means that's a bad thing. Uh, there was an article in our local newspaper some time back about pedophiles in the community, and a professor who's a clinical professor of psychiatry who also spends a great deal of time testifying in court cases of pedophiles, was quoted saying, pedophilia is a mental disorder and people who suffer from it should be viewed with compassion. So people who molest small children, they're the ones who are victims, is what this person is saying. This person who has something to do with whether they're sentenced to jail or not. Um, No, the victims are the children. And Pedophilia, no matter what's happening to your brain physically, no matter what's happened in your life through experience, is an evil that deserves punishment. Both the government's responsibility and that, ultimately, that would come from God. Saz writes that the concept, the notion of a person having mental illness is actually scientifically crippling. And what he means by that is that it undermines the principle of personal responsibility upon which a democratic political system is necessarily based by assigning to an external source the illness blamed for antisocial behavior. Uh, and, And in many cases, the diagnoses that people receive when they're given these labels are not really very scientific. And we're going to be talking about specifics as we go through the course, but just using an example, um, with depression, and depression is very complicated. There may well be people who have something wrong with their brain. I think it's a minority, but there may be people who have something wrong with their brain, and they really have something going wrong. That maybe there's a medicine that will help them. But a lot of depressed people are just sad. And a wonderful book by Charles Hodges, uh, "Good Mood, Bad Mood," talks about this. And but. When someone goes to the doctor's office and they're told, well, you know, they, they 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 describe sadness, and then the doctor says, well, no, you have the mental illness of depression, and that's because your serotonin levels have gotten off. And I, I've talked to count, so many counsellors who've gone this. Well, did they test your serotonin? No, there's actually not a test by which they do this. They take a description of how badly you feel. There's a list of several things in the DSM. And if you hit enough buttons, you you know you get the meds. But sadness is you know, often not caused. It's not like your brain suddenly started sh- producing less of something or more of something. Uh, circumstances in life often cause that, and the explanation may sound very scientific. But it's based on feeling. It's also interesting that and we'll talk more in the section on depression how in there have been studies showing how the antidepressants don't work for the great majority of the people who are on them, especially when you take into account the placebo effect of how just the hope of taking something makes people feel better for a while. Um, I, I've counseled a man who would actually go to the county because he, he learned how the different medications made him feel, and he'd go to county mental health, and he would go in and, and give a description of how he feels And he knew what medicine they would give him so he could get the meds that he wanted. And no doubt that changed how he felt, but it wasn't dealing with the root issue. And, you know, I think of situations in the Bible where Paul had been beaten and he's thrown in jail and he doesn't know when he's going to get out. He might be able to, first of all, I'm sure he felt badly. (laughs) He might have felt very, very sad, and if there was a way of attesting his serotonin, they might have found out that as a result of feeling sad, maybe that does lower your serotonin. I don't know. Uh, he might have been a candidate for Prozac or something like that. Uh, likewise with David, when you know, David describes how his, in Psalm 32 his body was wasting away and he couldn't sleep and he was miserable. Uh, no doubt David was depressed. He might have qualified to be clinically depressed. But it was because of circumstances in his life. In that case, it was because of sin. Um, and so while we take very seriously that some people may have brain issues going on, we have to be very humble about it because quite frankly, just as the family practice doctor doesn't really know if the serotonin level has changed because he doesn't have a test for it, And he also doesn't know why it might have changed, whether the moral choices of the soul of the person had something to do with the bad feelings that might cause the serotonin to be down as opposed to just a random serotonin event. Uh, We, too, can't know with our counselees always why they feel badly or some of the other things where people, you you have other diagnoses, be it ADHD or OCD and all these other letters. Um, We can't know for sure whether something's going on in the brain but oftentimes the uh, doctors really don't know either in terms of the brain. Uh, Many, many cases, there are issues in the lives of a person that explain the symptoms. And when the spiritual issues are dealt with, the symptoms change. Um, In Psalm 32, again, David being depressed, when did he start feeling better? He never got meds. he repented of his sin and turned back to God and he prayed, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And we've had several cases of people who had been diagnosed with all these different labels and on various meds and when the spiritual issues in their life were dealt with biblically, they made the choice to try to get off the meds and in many cases they've been successful. Uh, One thing about the meds is they change how you feel. Uh, I've heard people complain. It's kind of like your your emotional range just kind of narrows. And a lot of people don't like feeling that way anyway. Um, if that's what they choose to do, they can. I, w- I would emphasize here as we'll emphasize later, we don't tell people not to take meds. We don't tell people to get off their meds. Um, sometimes, though, when a counselee is doing better, they'll say, I'm not sure I need this stuff anymore. And I don't like how it makes me feel. Then we say, "We'll work with your doctor who gave you the meds and uh, see if it will work for you to get off. Uh, we, act, you know, one of the cases early on for me at IBCD was a man who came in, and he was in his late 60s. He was uh, diagnosed as being depressed. He'd been on various meds and was on some very, very strong, high dosage medications. He was told that he had this developed this mental illness late in his life, and that he was going to be on these medications for the rest of his life. He also. Uh, had gone. He was drinking. He was told that he had the disease of alcoholism, and he was told that he had to go to twelve-step meetings for the rest of his life, and he would always be an alcoholic. And there were a few other things as well. Actually, he and his wife had gone to a marriage and family therapist, and uh, you know, all these people thought, "Oh, you know." And and as he came in this particular case, um, by God's grace, as he came, uh, the Lord showed him through the scriptures that there were some sin issues in his life. And in his case, it wasn't like David, you know, committing adultery and killing the husband. But it was simply really an issue of, of selfishness and upon retirement, just living for himself rather than living for God and for others. And I remember we were reading Psalm 32 and, and when David's describing how miserably he felt, which was, you know, Harold was sleeping 16 hours and no desire for life and uh, very miserable He'd even been institutionalized for a period of time because of his problems. But when I was reading Psalm 32, he was he said, Do you mean that my problem may be not that I have a disease, but that I'm a sinner? I said, Yeah, that may well be the case. <laughs> and in this particular case, by God's grace, as God gave him grace to repent of his sin, uh, that he as he restructured his life biblically. Mm-hmm. Um, focusing on growing closer to the Lord serving God, serving others it's been nearly 20 years and so far as I know, you know over time he went back to his doctor actually the doctor said oh if you get off these drugs you'll." they were worried about him committing suicide or something like that but by God's grace he did get off the meds and has not fallen into what he fell into again and in many many cases, I'm not saying all and I'm not saying again if somebody comes in, what you want to do is deal with their spiritual issues and not the drugs. But I do think in many cases, uh, the drugs could even distract from the spiritual issues. It's all out, and somehow, you know, days and days, months and months, weeks and weeks of psychotherapy, somehow that would make things better. Um, in In recent years, it's been, instead of nurture, it's been more on nature in terms of Brain chemistry has been seen as kind of the physical aspect of our our life, our genetics, has seen to be the big problem. And so that's where the research is, and that's where the treatment is. So now people, you know, they go to the family doctor, and he's prescribing psychotropic medications for anxiety or worry or uh, depression, whatever it may be. Uh, Again, the local newspaper, another quote, that psychiatry seeks explanation for pedophilia in brain chemistry and genetics. Uh, I think one reason this may be attractive to some also is with the change in the structure of how medicine is practiced that it takes much less doctor time to spend 10 minutes with a patient hear how he feels and give him a medication as opposed to insurance paying for many, many sessions of talk therapy and, and the, the prescription not just to adults but to children of psychiatric, uh, psychotropic drugs has multiplied many, many times over. Uh, statistics showing that the majority of these taken in the world are taken by people uh, in the United States. Again, in counseling, we don't tell people, put your pills down the toilet. There may be a, a real medical issue the doctor has identified that needs to be addressed. These pills can have issues of withdrawal. Uh, the, the, the people on psychotropic drugs, if they decide they want to get off, and I would say, by the way, many do want to get off these drugs, uh, deal with the spiritual issue first and then if they want to make that choice uh, it's something to be worked out between them and their doctor well moving on another issue with psychology is relativism uh, no moral absolutes no fixed moral values uh, everyone doing what's right in his own eyes more or less Rogers in his non-directive counseling where the counselor is a listener helping the counselee to find the truth within himself and you can never judge you can never uh, tell people what to do well you know if somebody comes for counsel and he's thinking of leaving his wife for this woman he's attracted to non-directive counseling is not an option for a christian and the bible addresses issues of life issues of the soul with absolutes Uh, Likewise, what's been happening is because they don't have the Bible gives us fixed, infallible revelation from God of that which pleases God and that which does not please God. Uh, Their values change. In in the early version of the DSM, uh, homosexuality was treated as a disease. Well, in DSM three, now it's considered normal, and even as time and, and whereas before there were therapies to help homosexuals get out of it now you're not allowed to uh, there are laws passed still in the courts now in some circumstances forbidding licensed professionals from counseling at least now in California minors who are homosexual or have those tendencies of getting out of that because and it's not that research was done showing it's right or wrong they don't have the basis to do that it's you know, SAS says it's really pick pressure from Homosexuals and even homosexual therapists. Uh, the Bible clearly teaches that sex is within marriage between a husband and a wife. Um, and even promotion of, again, gratification of carnal appetites, and it could be a masturbation for sex drives, it can be finding ways to express your anger by yelling at a pillow or going outside in a canyon or, you know, the idea of venting. Um, and oftentimes, and especially in Freud, Freud saw the conscience as being kind of this bad thing that people have because of their kind of puritanical upbringing and all this guilt gets laid on. And so you, you've got to undo that so they wouldn't feel guilty. Guilt is a bad thing. Well, the Bible says guilt's a really good thing. We need, you know, guilt is what drives us to Christ to seek forgiveness and redemption and transformation. It's, it's a God-given warning. It's just like pain in the body. When I fell down and injured my shoulder, I felt a great amount of pain. It was indication something was wrong and needed to be done. Uh, It it moved me to action. And and guilt is designed by God uh, really, again, to, to see that there is sin that needs to be dealt with. And God has provided a gracious way by which that is dealt with. Uh, One author says, guilt heaped on people by Christianity produces mental illness. Another writes, guilt is an illusion. Well, that's because of really the, the last major critique is that in secular psychology there is no place for God. You can't understand who man is, what his purpose is, what's right and wrong, unless you first understand God. Man is not autonomous. And we are not, it's not. life is not about you, you know, those who say self-centeredness is the, is the secret to better mental health uh, no the, the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength um, Fromm writes the failure of modern culture is that people are not concerned enough with the interests of their real self vice is indifference to oneself now actually when you hear stuff like that you realize why this stuff is popular <laughs> It confirms people in their sin. It encourages them in their sin. It, that's exactly what they want to hear. Just like they'd rather think they have a disease which they're of which they're a victim than to think that they're sinning for which they have responsibility. Uh, sadly, this corrupts the church as well. Uh, Robert Schuler writes, Sin is any act or thought that robs myself or another human being of his self-esteem. Uh, he didn't get that from the Bible though he claims to preach the bible uh, that is psychobabble that's uh, pop psychology from the pulpit uh, in an education website it writes self-esteem is central to the most of the personal and social problems that plague human life in today's world um maslow writes i supo- i propose that we explore the consequences of observing whatever our best specimens choose and then assume that these are the highest values for mankind but who gets to decide who are the best specimens <laughs> and uh, evaluate the quality of their choices? It's only because there is a God who made us in his image and has revealed himself in the scriptures that we even know how to address the soul and how to help people. And I assume you're listening to this. Maybe you need help. And I, I'm going to tell you, the help comes from God in his word or maybe you want to help others and I think some people actually study psychology and are attracted to psychology because they want to help people and that that can be a noble um, motivation but psychology in its secular roots isn't going to teach you how to really help people because they don't understand who we are and then that's why secular psychology is powerless to bring about meaningful change um the change we need is a spiritual change, and in their worldview, we're just a body with a brain. The change we need is in relation to God. That's where transformation takes place, and God is left out of their system. Freud, it's funny, well, even the psychologists and psychotherapists, psychiatrists, many of them who aren't even Christians have recognized how what they're doing hasn't been that successful. Freud writes, uh, I have found little that is good about human beings on the whole. In my experience, most of them are trash. Rogers writes, When I'm speaking to outsiders, I present humanistic psychology as a glowing hope for the future. Within the bosom of our family, I have been trying to say that we have no reason whatsoever for feeling complacent as we look towards the future. Even if in the short term people feel better about themselves or even if to some degree the symptoms are treated and uh, people don't feel the pain of their problems and their sins, the disease remains. Uh, You could have shot painkillers into my arm and I wouldn't have felt the pain for a while. But the tendon is still torn. So in this case it's really cancer. I know some cancer is painful and some is not, but this is a painful cancer. And you can give somebody morphine. You can give somebody drugs that would lessen the pain. But if the cancer is there, the cancer needs to be treated. And, of course, the sad thing for me is that people are going to certain psychologists where they're being offered pain relief, and sometimes it's deadening the guilt, when we have the cure. You can't always cure physical cancer, but we have the cure in the Word of God. And we don't just treat the symptoms of how people feel. We treat the disease, which is a broken relationship with God. You might say, well, what about people who seem to get better after counseling and with secular counselors? Um, There are a couple of explanations I could give. One is that oftentimes symptoms go away without treatments. And there have actually been studies published in secular... Uh, publications, I'll just quote one, Uh, Lieber says, surveys show that out of patients who spend upwards of 350 hours on the psychoanalyst's couch, two out of three show some improvement over a period of years. Sounds pretty good, two out of three, but then he says the fly in that particular ointment, however, is the same percentage get better without analysis or the care of a physician. As a matter of fact, the same ratio, two out of three people got better in mental hospitals 100 years ago something about the way God has made us and I've seen this particularly with depression that If that time usually makes severe depression lift with or without treatment and, that's, and I'm thankful God made us that way And there's a lot that just goes away a World Magazine writes several people have mentioned that study after study has shown that people are just as likely to solve their problems without a psychologist and that a trained psychologist is no more effective in counseling than a concerned layman and, of course, I would say if that concerned layman knows the Bible, he's going to be more effective. Um, there was a Woody Allen film many years ago where a sleeper, and I don't commend the whole movie, but I remember he had, like, slept for 50 years like Rip Van Winkle, and he wakes up and he says, what a shame, if I'd have just kept up my psychotherapy all this time, I might finally be finished. Um, and, and even if the symptoms, even if the bad feelings go away, which I think I've already established they've not shown they can do, um, the spiritual problems remain. Jesus talks about an evil spirit who's put out, but then many of this come in his place when nothing else is put in. Um, I have a friend who many years ago was a drunkard, and he got involved in AA, which it's certainly viewed upon viewed sympathetically in a 12-step program, viewed sympathetically by the psychological community. And he engaged in that program And quit drinking. And he could tell you, I assume he's not had a drink now, he could tell you it's been, whatever, 23 years, 6 months, 3 days, 4 hours since I last had a drink. And that's all very well. My friend, however, is morbidly obese. He probably weighs over 400 pounds. He's estranged from most of his family members through conflicts. He has been enslaved to pornography. He's fallen into adultery is he cured (laughs) Um, you might be able to give up one idol for another but the word of God transforms us we're changed in our very nature who is in Christ is a new creation the spirit comes in he brings forth his fruit and reorders and transforms a life Humanistic psychology can't do that. Humanistic psychology is a counterfeit religion that in its basic beliefs and worldview is opposed to scripture. And yet sadly, many Christians are uncritical, even Christian leaders. It's not a science like shoulder repair in medicine. Um, They have a worldview which is not going to lead to people being reconciled to God and transformed by his spirit and it actually may prevent them from that by curing them falsely peace peace when there is no peace Um, in the next session we're going to talk about a little more complicated question that is what about Christians who try to combine the Bible with psychology can that be done
0: Hey, well, I failed to mention, I apologize, that as far as your notes go, last week was the front side, this week was the back side, so hopefully you were able to figure that out in the process of the discussion. Um, somebody remind you that if you missed last week, obviously you can go to our website and listen to last week's um Pastor's class. You can also go to their website, ibcd.org, and you can listen uh, through their website. They also have transcripts of every session. So if you want to read back through it and think about it and not just listen to it, then you can print those out as well. So if you ever miss something or just want to review something that we talk about here, then there are other ways to do that. And I would encourage you to do that because All of this builds on uh, each other. So it's helpful to have the whole picture as we go through this. Well, are there any um, comments or questions in light of what he shared today? Anything that stood out to you? As you think about change in your own life or change in other people's lives in light of how um, psychology tries to about change anything that stood out to you personally Linda this might seem too simple but um,
2: he he um, is so respectful of opposing opinion and so kind with those who are hurting straightforward and truthful and you know anyhow I just admire the way he shares his information
0: I, I agree. I think um, for a lot of people, this is a very difficult subject because a lot of people have looked to, even Christians, have looked to secular psychologists or doctors to try to help with their problems. And if someone even begins to challenge that, they may feel like um, they're being attacked personally or, or they're, something good is being taken away from them. And so I, I think the way he's approached it is to say, there are things we can affirm that the psych- psychological community, the secular psychology uh, perspective can help us with, but it's important to know that um, th- the basis for what they're trying to do is totally against what the Bible says, and that's the major problem. So I, I fully agree there. Kim?
2: Although, let's see how I'm putting. Sometimes... Um Unless you're really familiar with the people, there are other times that people need longer times to move through things. And um, so I think um, even though the Bible is the final word and we know what everything has to move through. there uh, needs to be kindness because it's even if you're raised you don't automatically have this a hundred percent and since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god all means all so it's like are you seeing something different in that person and you're kind of reaching and grabbing and trying to get them to see something else so Hopefully, um, that doesn't get lost in the shuffle.
0: Mm-hmm. If I hear what you're saying, uh, I don't think he was saying that um, psychoanalysis requires a lifetime and you won't ever be finished. You know, the Woody Allen thing. I don't think he was saying, contrasting that with with the Bible. If you just take the Bible, you can get that person back on track in a short amount of time. I think he's simply saying that Um, no matter what you do in terms of secular psychology, you're not going to address the real problem. And so you could go for 5,000 years, and there won't be any real change in that person because it's not addressing the root issues. But even if it takes a long time, with the scriptures, with the truth, we can see progress, and we can see growth, and we can see people being set free, sometimes very dramatically, sometimes slowly, incrementally, over a lifetime, because it's the truth that sets us free. It's it's believing a lie. And Jesus said that if you, um, if you hang in there with me, so to speak, and um, hang in there with my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, sometimes radically, sometimes just incrementally over a course of life. So you're right. I, I wouldn't want you to get the impression that he's saying that... Um, Secular psychology um, takes a lot of time and it never works. Biblical counseling can cure things very quickly. So that's a good point. Okay. All right. Anything else that stood out to you? Greg. Thank you, Jonathan.
1: I was just kind of taken with uh, the changes in psychology. Fifty years ago, it would have been all nurture and the things that happened to you. And uh, I think he pointed out in the first session, there's 250 different views of psychology. And I followed this guy and you follow that guy. And now it's all nature, that it's all brain chemistry and so forth. And something else they'll never be able to explain or narrow down or get to the bottom of.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a great point yeah it used to be um, you know it was your mother and your relationship with your mother or your your upbringing in some sense or or you know some traumatic event that happened in your life um, now they 're looking more toward um, biology and brain chemistry and those kinds of things and I appreciate the fact that he said there are situations where there are physical uh, brain issues that we need to acknowledge and he was very careful to say, we don't ever tell people not to take their medications or to just um, get off their medications. So he was very careful to say, that's, that's something you need to deal with with your doctor. But at the same time saying, we believe that the root issues have to do with spiritual issues, not physical issues. Even when there are physical issues, there are spiritual issues that are the more fundamental and more important issues to deal with. Okay. Hope oh, it's good to see you again.
3: Um, I really appreciate that he talked about relativism because I think in our postmodern culture, it's a huge issue with it's the root of so many problems with depression and like all the sexuality things. Um, and I think that we, we try to justify our sin within relativism, the world, and make everything okay because this well, this is how it is for me. Or, like, these are my feelings on it or whatever. And that's not accurate. The Word of God is accurate. And what we're commanded to do and what we know about our heart being deceitful and desperately wicked is accurate. So it's not, um, I don't know, relativism is just such a huge lie that's believed right now, I think. I think that was really helpful.
0: It's very good. So... Um, as Hope was saying, in our culture, people are arguing that, um, and he touched on this, for years Christianity, Puritans, others have basically made people feel guilty, and as a result, people have gotten all kinds of mental illnesses as a result of that, they've had all kinds of problems with that, that's the problem with our society, uh, is really Christianity and, and views that are similar to Christianity. And what we need to do is we just need to believe that we're okay the way we are, that we are in some sense um, made this way, we're, we're okay this way, I'm okay, you're okay, and if we really believe that, then we would be free. And it's the argument that um, if I believe, we would say a lie, then I'll be free, the Bible argues that even if you believe something, no matter how strong you believe it, it will not set you free, it's just part of the slavery. The only thing that sets us free is the truth, to, to believe the truth. And so people are thinking, you know, if I just you know embrace the fact that I have these homosexual desires and inclinations and therefore I just need to embrace that lifestyle, then I will be free from all the negative Things in my life. Whereas the Bible would say, no, actually, the negative things you're experiencing are meant to drive you to God so that you can be free from the sin in your life and find happiness and hope in Christ. And so it's a very different way of approaching things. And um, that relativism just basically says, okay, I'm going to define right and wrong, and I'm going to believe what I want to believe is true, and I think I'll be set free through that and then you can believe what you want to believe as far as right and wrong and what's true about you and then you can be set free as well as if it doesn't really matter whether or not there's any objective truth to be believed and so that's very much where we are as a culture mark
2: yeah, just thinking that through. It's interesting. I mean, how do they espousing that worldview? How do you even have a book of definitions for aberrant behavior? There, there is no aberrant behavior because it's all relative. You know, um, so the whole thing does break down. What was interesting to me thinking about the statistics of people uh, getting better on their own versus better through psychotherapy. Um, ultimately, it's the common grace of God that. Prevails in all these situations, and secular society tries to pat themselves on the back for ultimately God's grace that is applied to all of us. So,
0: yeah, very true, very true,
4: Andy. Uh, I pr- I have a probable explanation for why people who uh, invest three hundred and fifty hours plus uh, in psychotherapy do get better. Two uh, two third of them. Uh, it's because, like, uh, if you do invest that amount of time, well, you uh, you kind of uh, pretty much are into the conviction that uh, there you have a problem. So, if you accept the fact that you have a problem and you search hopelessly to uh, uh, to, to cure it or find a cure for it, uh, but at least that's the first step to admit that you have a problem and you need to work on it. Now, because they are n- a secular then that's only s- two-thirds, which is 66%. Not, not a higher success rate, but it is the first step to uh, acknowledge that you have a problem and you try to work on it. Now, the worst poison is uh, uh, the, uh, the view that it's you're okay, there's nothing wrong with you. Then, uh, you know, uh, it's in your genes and you're born that way. Then that's worst poison because you don't uh, seek for any answer and you don't, uh, you know, and you need to um, declare yourself free. And that is the worst poison. Yeah.
0: Very true. I think he touched on what you just said when he said, essentially, symptoms can change and people can get better in some sense, um, but the root problem isn't ever really dealt with. But you're right. Even taking a step in the right direction can result in some um, positive uh, response in a person's life, and yet it doesn't get to the real root of what's going on. Jackson?
5: Uh, this is uh, some some uh, side thing, but uh, the, the DSM, so the uh, Diagnostics and Statistical Manual, um, the so the way that it's set up is it's mainly for insurance purposes, and so, for example, you take a major depression. Um, a lot of it is if you hit certain criteria, then they can bill the insurance company for that specific code. It doesn't mean the person doesn't have any actual issues that needs to be addressed. And so um, just something to keep in mind, if you're talking to someone and say, I have major depression, it just simply means that they meet the criteria in a book for insurance purposes.
0: Okay. All right. it's helpful to know. I guess there's different kinds of things that drive uh, how the secular world approaches, those kinds of things, and that's good to keep in mind. Daniel?
5: Something that Mark was talking about um, with the criteria of um, what, they don't have like a, a consistent criteria of how to judge what's good or wrong or um, where, where it all falls in line. One of the quotes he mentioned um, was that uh, anything that I do that affects my self-esteem or their self-esteem is wrong. Um, the problem with that is that there's still no measurable frame To go off of because what affects my self-esteem is going to be different from what affects someone else's self-esteem, which would affect someone else's self-esteem. So and maybe their self-esteem would actually harm somebody else. Um, Another argument I heard is that anything you do that harms yourself or another person is wrong, but you can harm somebody else by just believing something that you disagree with somebody else. And so that's harming them. So where does that fall in line? How far do you go until you're like, oh, that's the breaking point. You can't go that far anymore. It, it falls apart really quickly when you start measuring it by that standard.
0: That's so true, and that's why um, there's so much confusion when we basically try to create our own standards for trying to determine right and wrong, because um, it's very easy to ultimately have contradictions in our system that are hard to overcome, just like you were saying, um, whereas God, who is bigger than we are, knows exactly how it all needs to fit together and and what standards to set. So it's a good point. All right, Melody?
3: I had a few kind of random thoughts. One of them, um, kind of along what Mark was saying, one of the common grace elements that um, I see throughout it is just how good God is to um, create us for community and communication. I think that may be part of the reason why even if you're going to a secular psychologist, you're not dealing with the root issue and there won't be meaningful change, but maybe you do feel a little better because you're talking to someone about you and your past for however many hours. And I think that's so kind of God to create us in community. And that just shows me that no matter, you know, what circumstance you're in, God did not create us to be alone in our thoughts thinking of anything he created us to be with each other and um of course you want that from a biblical worldview but that's just so good of him that even um, people who don't believe in him can find um, peace in that and then the other thought was um that (laughs) this whole process just sounds so exhausting to me when I'm thinking and listening to him about it It does deny your responsibility in that, like, oh, it's not your fault that you're like this. But then it just seems like it puts all the responsibility back on you if you don't have the Lord to fix it. So it's like if you only go to the canyon and yell for, you know, a certain amount of time or you only go to this many hours of this or you go to this many meetings or you take enough bubble baths or you take enough naps, then you'll cure yourself. But it's all on you and it's all your responsibility to get better. And that is that's exhausting. I'm so thankful for the Lord.
0: Yes, very true, very true. I mean, there's a lot behind Jesus' uh, telling us that, uh, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Um, and that's part of it right there. Well, with the, just the last few minutes, um, let me just summarize some of the things that um, he talked about. Um, so he's been arguing that we should not look at secular psychology as being ultimately something that's going to address our real needs. And he talks about the problem with a faulty view of man, that they see man as an advanced animal. Uh, They see man as basically good, at worst worst, a blank slate. And they see man as autonomous in the sense, and this is relating to what Melody just said, able and responsible to solve his own problems without God's help. Well, We looked last week at Romans 3, where it talks about the fact there is none righteous, no, not one, um, that we are, as a race, useless before God because we're not pursuing what he made us to be, and there is none who does good. And so the Bible speaks directly against uh, the faulty view of man that we find in psychology. Um, This is where we actually began today, his discussion of the fact that Uh, psychology excuses sin and denies personal responsibility there's blame shifting you know i am the way i am and i do what i do because of my parents my teachers society um it has a medical model that basically calls sin sickness or mental illness um, instead of something that really needs to be addressed as a sin and biology is the hot topic uh right now in all their discussions um It reminds me of Genesis 3, Um, right after the very first human sin. You've got God confronting um, Adam and Eve. And what does Adam say? The woman you made me, the woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit or the whatever it was, and I ate. And so basically, um, Adam blamed God, blamed Eve And through Eve, God for what he did. And so blame shifting and pointing at other things, whether it's nature or nurture, is still uh, the way we we operate as sinners. Um, There are no fixed moral values, and that's the basis for non-directive counseling, which is what he was referring to, where you don't tell people what's right and wrong. You don't tell people what to do, you let them determine what's right and wrong, and you let them determine what they need to do. Um, simple behaviors and desires are legitimized um, because you can't tell them it's wrong. A promotion of socially acceptable behaviors, gratification of carnal appetites, etc., are encouraged as a way of dealing with your uh, problems and often attempts to relieve God given guilt by destroying conscience. And so, People are encouraged not to feel guilty, and they're encouraged to see guilt as a problem rather than as something that actually drives us to God for the help that we need. And then obviously, uh, the no place for God was his last point, and he talks about Freud having opened his practice on Easter Sunday, Skinner being the humanist of the year, and how uh, so many of the uh, founding psychologists um, we're anti-God, anti-Christianity. And so he comments and says, the change we need is a spiritual change. And in their worldview, we're just a body with a brain. The change we need is in relation to God. That's where trans- transformation takes place. And God is left out of their system. So um, I'm not going to go over those, but let me just kind of summarize again. Um He's arguing that psychology undermines personal responsibility, that really the key, and this is closely tied to what Andy was saying about recognizing that we have a problem, that change begins with us realizing that we have personal responsibility for where we are. And um, through nurture or through nature, psychology can argue that we're really not responsible. And that alleviates us, that, that Gives us a false peace about where we are. Um, it also undermines personal responsibility by calling sin a mental illness, so that we're we're simply victims of uh, what we've experienced, or, or or our bodies, and and therefore we're not really responsible for seeking change as God would have us to. And he mentioned the facts that our society uh, labels just about every bad behavior as. Something that ultimately um, is controlling us, rather than something we're responsible for. Um, but then again, he says again: physical brain illnesses are real, like schizophrenia and Alzheimer's, and so we have to be careful not to just dismiss any physical involvement. Um, he's talked. He talked about the fact that there's our society has seen a great increase in just prescriptions for various things. And so there's a pill for everything these days. Uh, there's no moral absolute, so telling people what to do and, and what is right and wrong is forbidden. Uh, you can't counsel people with homosexuality, especially young people, and try to help them see it as a bad thing or help them get out of it. It's, um, that's where we are in California. And guilt is seen as part of the problem rather than, rather than as a warning that can lead to addressing the real problem. I would, I'll go back over all that because it's so important to really think through what he's saying about a, 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 an approach that is contrary to the scriptures. Um, Deuteronomy 12.8 says, Every man uh, was doing what was right in his own eyes. That's the relativism that hope talked about and it's never going to solve anybody's problem by doing that and then Psalm 14 1 talks about the fact that the fool has said in his heart there is no God and he's basically arguing that to go to a secular counselor or psychologist who's operating on a no God set of assumptions is going to a fool because if we deny God then we may be very brilliant in other ways, very intelligent, and there may be things that we really understand and can be helpful in certain areas. But ultimately, the root cause will never be dealt with and we'll be going to a foolish set of presuppositions to try to get some help. And so he's encouraging all of us to see the emptiness, ultimately, of this kind of approach so that we can see the glory of the the approach that God has given us in his word. Well, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that there is a lot of common grace, as was highlighted this morning. Um, In so many ways, you're so kind to all people and there are things that can take place in people's lives that don't even know you or aren't even looking to you, and yet you grant them relief and reprieve in certain ways. And yet the reality is the the root issues can only be dealt with uh, through your word and through the gospel. And so I, I pray that we would affirm where we can uh, the good, even in a fallen world, and we would rejoice in um, relief that that can be given through common grace and yet help us never to think that there's any real change or any real salvation apart from the truth of your word and through the finished work of Christ. And may we seek to point people in that direction and may we keep our eyes on that as the key to the change in our own hearts as well. So help us as we think through this and apply it to loving our children Uh, Loving our spouse, loving people at work, and and loving people here in our own church. Uh, Help us to see how it applies and grow us in, in our loving of others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you very much.